0: Hey everybody, it's Erin Carey and welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. I am super excited to introduce you to Dr. Amy Johnson. She is a psychologist, coach, author, and speaker who shares a groundbreaking new approach that helps people find lasting freedom from unwanted habits, anxiety, and self-doubt via insight rather than willpower. She is the author of Being Human, The Little Book of Big Change, The No Willpower Approach to Breaking Any Habit, and Just a Thought and No willpower approach to end self-doubt and make peace with your mind. In 2017, she opened the little school of big change an online school that has helped thousands of people find freedom from anxiety and habits and live a more peaceful life. Amy also shares the no willpower approach in her top rated podcast, changeable and she's trained over 70 coaches in her change coach training program. She's been a regularly featured expert on the Steve Harvey show and Oprah.com, as well as the wall street journal and self magazine. So thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it.
0: I am so excited to dig into this. I have been reading through your book and it lines up with so many things that I've just been trying to process for myself and my own brain. (laughs) And so I can't wait to to get into your book and everything. But first, I'd love for you to share a little bit about um, your background and just your personal connection to this topic.
1: Yeah. So I I was a weird kid (laughs) who from an early age was like just obsessed with why people do the things they do, like, why are adults so worried all the time? What's wrong with them? Why do they always talk about money? Like, why do they fight? <laughs> like, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess I, my parents got divorced when I was five and I just really felt really from an early age, like, gosh, life is easy, but why do these older people not seem to have an easy time with it? So, uh, Really, throughout my life, I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, but I knew I'd study psychology and I did. Um, And as I was studying psychology, my anxiety really hit a peak. I had a period of time, a couple years, where I was uh, having panic attacks all the time, became very agoraphobic. Um, That kind of settled down and sort of morphed into eating issues. So I struggled with an eating disorder for eight years. And, you know, in that time I had access to all the therapies and all the traditional psychology, psychology things, cause that's what I was studying and they were helpful to some degree, but I always felt like it always felt like a full-time job. Like I needed to do so much to get myself to health and it never worked because if I was struggling to get myself to health, I was telling myself I'm not healthy now when I need something I don't have, you know? And so it just felt so heavy, um, And then at some point, uh, about eight years into my eating disorder, I came across a a really different way of seeing things, which is what I share and write about now, um, which is, you know, kind of looking in the direction of like, Hey, what if we don't need to get anything? What if everything is okay? All experience moves through us it's not personal. It's not ours. We just have a mind that claims that it's ours. We have a mind that has been talking to us in first person for as long as we can remember. And we think we are our experience, but once we start to see that differently, a lot of stuff opens up. And and so it did for me, that's what finally helped me be completely free of anxiety and my food issues and all of that to the point where there's just nothing to manage, you know, and I I didn't. I was told that wouldn't be possible from well-meaning doctors. So it's awesome, awesome that it is.
0: So you're saying that it's not just about will willpower, discipline, or some five-step plan.
1: Yeah, I mean those <laughs> things. You know, I know that's like. It's so what we've been taught. It's so what we're pointed toward. They're they're so attractive because they're tangible. They give us, they let us feel empowered. They give us something to do. And I did that for years and years. I mean, I would find the new book or the new strategy and I'd be so excited because like, oh, finally this might be it. And it gave me something to do. And my excitement would, would help for a while. I was hopeful and excited But then when the strategy didn't go deep enough, the strategy didn't work or I got exhausted and I couldn't work the strategy or work the tools, I was right back to where I started because I hadn't actually seen things in a different way. So that's, I think that's like the big Irony. It's so weird that we still believe this. And I think we're waking up to it, that there is no hack. It's not like do this strategy and finally you'll have your mental health back. No, there's no way it works that way. Like we have it already. We just get tangled up in that kind of obscures the health that's already there.
0: Yeah. What you're saying is so interesting to me because I, I see a lot of people who struggle with sugar, intense sugar cravings or wanting to change their eating habits, you know, wanting to make different choices with their eating. And we're constantly fighting that whole idea. I I don't know. Sorry, everybody who's listening. My dog squeaky toy is in the background. It's a great sound track here. Um, but yeah, but I feel like we're constantly fighting that voice. What, what is that that we're fighting against and how do we move past that? Like what, what is our brain actually doing when we're trying to make change? Maybe that's a better question to ask.
1: Yeah. It's a great question. I, I, I think it's really helpful to see that we have a brain that is all about our survival. It doesn't care what you eat. It doesn't care how happy you are. Like it doesn't care how accurately it's portraying the world to you. Like it is literally a very rudimentary machine. I mean, it's an amazing machine, but its, it's sole purpose is to keep your physical body alive. And so the best way it can do that is to, this is what we've evolved toward is to predict what might be a danger. And so it's always kind of scanning and thinking and gathering information. That's all about certainty. Like it wants certainty because the more it knows, the more it can, it can predict what might harm you at some other point. And, and this is what we feel. We feel a mind that's always thinking. We feel, you know, just a barrage of thoughts that are all related to us, even if they, Don't say they are in one way or another, they feel like they are because they're happening in what feels like our head, right? So this constant conversation about us and how we're doing and what's coming and what we what was in the past and what's likely in the future. Our minds are constantly worrying, they're constantly comparing. And and again, we're thinking that's us. We're so identified with that because that's that's just how our conditioning is just how this machine seems to operate. So like when it comes to like sugar cravings or anything like that, I mean, panic attacks, like habit and addictions, all of that. It's like on some level that we might not fully see, our mind is just doing what it thinks it needs to do to help us. Now that's hard to see because we can sit back and say, well, I don't need sugar. So that's crazy. (laughs) Like my mind's wrong. You know, when it tells me I need a whole gallon of ice cream, of course it's wrong. And that's kind of where we stop a lot of times. We don't see the logic in it, so we stop there. But it's not that what our mind says is logical. What it says is often not logical, but how it works in a bigger picture is logical. So, or there's an intelligence behind it, I should say it that way. So like when I was caught up in bulimia, I mean, I would not eat or be incredibly restrictive and picky about food. And then of course, my brain started saying, eat everything you can possibly eat. Like in a way it was doing everything it could to help me survive. But if I was up in the content of it, I would have said, you know, no, that doesn't make sense. And and so I think that's a long answer to your question, but I hope that starts to point out that on the surface and in the content and the stories, it might not make sense, but the more we look toward how the brain works, there's a amazing intelligence behind it.
0: That is so interesting, and I I love your perspective. And I love how you say that our minds are only doing what they think they need to help us. I think if if we can just sit in that, man, just that alone makes a huge difference. And with that, I think this is a really great place to pause and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Sleep Number. The holiday season is festive and fun, but it also can be stressful. Gift shopping, decorating, hosting, traveling, it all takes a toll. Quality sleep is essential to help boost energy, recovery, and well-being. I know for me, I have to be intentional about sleep this time of year. And thanks to my sleep number bed, it is possible. My sleep IQ score has consistently been in the 80s and during the month of November and December. And one of the reasons that I think that I'm able to maintain my sleep routine is that I'm being intentional about going to bed earlier. There are a few other tips to getting a better night's sleep, and that is to keep a schedule. Having a routine really helps to tell your body it's time to unwind. So you could try reading a book, stretching, yoga poses. Another thing that's important is to avoid food and exercise before bed. Your body needs at least an hour to recover from exercise and meals so that it can prepare for sleep. Keep a screen-free bedroom. I know this is hard, but watching TV or working on your computer stimulates the brain and makes it difficult to sleep. The last one is to minimize light. Dim your lights one hour prior to bedtime, draw blinds, or try room darkening shades. My sleep number is 40, and I love that when I go to bed at night, I can adjust my sleep to the number that is helpful for me and my optimal rest. Discover special offers now for a limited time at your local Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com slash wholeness. Sleep Number. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. Now, getting back to the topic of our thoughts, and instead of, you know, we were talking about instead of warring against our bodies and our brains and saying that we're broken and saying that we're doing something wrong and we need to fix it, you're talking about leaning in and, and saying, wait a minute, my body is doing what it's supposed to be doing. And that's kind of a mindset shift. It's huge.
1: It's huge because yes, it gets us out of this thinking that our brain's the enemy, that we need to somehow control it or overpower it or rewire it or retrain it. I mean, there's, you know, there's some value in some of those exercises at times. I'm not saying that, but it's not a broken tool that we need to fix. We just need to understand it. When we understand it, we see the intelligence behind it and, and we're not run around by it. That's the important part. Like when we see, okay, my my brain's just spitting out anxiety because that's what it use, is used to doing. I used to give anxiety a ton of attention. So it thinks it's important. So it spits out anxiety. Well, if I see that, it's like, oh, I see what's going on. It doesn't mean it instantly goes away, but it does mean I'm not gonna fight it as much. I'm not gonna think it's my problem. I'm not gonna try to make it stop. I'm just, you know, there's space to kind of just allow it to do what it's doing.
0: That's scary. And that's, so how do you, there seems to be even a block in thinking of it that way, right? Like, oh, just allow my brain to do what it's going to do. Well, what if it's keeping me up at night and I have all of these racing thoughts, intrusive thoughts, you know, things that so many people, I think right now we're seeing people struggle with anxiety at a crazy level. Um, So how do we lean into that and embrace that? Yeah.
1: You know, this is where, Like I, I talk about insight a lot and having like a real sea change because you're right. If, if to say lean into it, which I I say sometimes, but even to say, you know, explore it, lean into it, feel it, see that it's not, you know, the, the pain in, in any feeling is the resistance. There's nothing wrong with feeling. I mean, feeling like, look at a one-year-old. They feel all kinds of stuff and they fully feel it and it comes and goes. And then they get up off the floor and wipe their tears and they're fine. Like this is literally our design. You watch a one-year-old, they will show you exactly how emotion is meant to be felt, but that's not how we feel it as adults. We feel it with all of our old thinking. We feel it with fear and resistance and pushing it away. And exactly what you said, our minds tells these stories of you're going to ruin my plans. (laughs) You better shut up, mind, because I have to get sleep so that all these things can happen so that I can be happy. It's so much darn thinking that just looks true to us.
0: Yeah, yeah. What you're saying makes so much sense. And I can't wait. I have a thousand other questions for you. But I want to take a second and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Indeed. Working on your own self-improvement. That can be tough. Putting in the work to hire the next great candidate for your business? It's easier than you think, especially with Indeed. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. One of the things that I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And thanks to Indeed's virtual interviews, you can message, schedule, and interview top talent seamlessly all in one place with Indeed. No need to install anything extra. Indeed's virtual interviews work from your browser. And did you know that Indeed is the number one source of hires in the U.S. according to TalentNest? In fact, 73% of all online job seekers in the US visit Indeed each month, according to Comscore total visits. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com/spark. Get a $75 credit at indeed.com/spark. indeed.com/spark. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Now, going back to all of these racing thoughts that we have, you were talking about all this darn thinking and leaning into that. I want to get back to what you were saying. How else do you help people understand what's going on in their heads?
1: So we can say lean in and be curious, and that's great. But also, I think the real answer really is we just this is what I do when I work with people is like we just immerse in this and we explore it and people come to see in a really deep, insightful way, wow, it really is on my side. There really is nothing to fear. And again, we could say that all day long, and those would just be words until until each of us, I think, really kind of comes to embody that and see that for ourselves.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned the one-year-old example. And I think that even that, it's it, I wonder if part of the reason that we struggle as adults is that we are trying to do the socially acceptable thing, which is to suppress these uncomfortable feelings, right? And and it's to not throw fits in public, (laughs) even though a lot of us, that's what we want to do. And and so I think that even just going back to that one-year-old state, uh, there's a lot to be said for letting ourselves Feel the feelings instead of spending so much time, like I said, like, I got to go to sleep this. I can't be thinking about this right now. That makes it worse. It seems like always.
1: always. And yeah, I mean, hopefully we aren't going to flail on the floor at target (laughs) and like (laughs) in our forties, you know, but, but we can do that in other ways. That you know, we don't have to do it the way a one-year-old would, but we can do it the way an adult would, and we don't. You're absolutely right. We we it's inconvenient to us, and and not not that we're selfish or or rigid or anything, but it's like I think on some level we all have a lot of ideas which aren't true. They're just a mind talking, but there are a lot of ideas about what we need to be okay. We need to get up, and we need to make our appointments, and we need to have sleep, and we need to be friendly, and you know, there's a lot of that crap in there that would be really helpful to kind of question sometimes.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Cause you mentioned that in your book about, um, how your, your thoughts aren't truth. Is that um, the statement there? I'd love to know a little bit more about that. Um, what, what do you like? Let's expand on that because that was really fascinating for me when you said that.
1: Yeah. So no thought is the truth because it's, a thought. So, like if you think about I me, mean, we have what almost 8 billion people on earth. All of us have this seamless flow of thought moving through us all the time. We aren't, as far as I can say, say like we aren't doing it. It's just showing up, you know, the next thought, the next idea. None of us know what what thought's going to show up next. We're not planning it. It just seems to flow through us. And we have eight billion of us all in this and we're all seeing things in a different way and even each of us is having a different experience of life in each and every moment so it's interesting it's easy to see and it's hard to see it's super easy in a way because we all know the things like if we if we all read the same book 8 billion people read the same book we're going to have 8 billion different experiences of that book now, so we can kind of know it on that level. At the same time, people will argue, well, yeah, but if 8 billion of us see a tree, we're all gonna agree it's a tree, you know? So there's at the level of like generalized knowledge and language, like we can agree on things, but when it comes down to it, every thought is just a thought. It's a reflection of some, this is my definition of thought, but it's like a reflection of some sensory information. It's a, it's a memory. It's a visual. If we really think, like, what's a thought made out of? There's some visual stuff, there's some auditory stuff. We don't even really know what a thought is. Like no one really does. It's this little blip of energy. It the stories that our mind tells can't be the truth with the capital T because they're always changing. Like they're just always changing, you know? And there's so many different, they're so subjective. And Yet, you know, we do go, kind of go through life just taking it all as truth. We we see this because we again, we see it at this kind of generalized level, like we can both agree that today's Tuesday, I almost called it Wednesday, but that today's Tuesday. So we're like, oh, it's the truth. It's Tuesday. Well, yeah, but just the level beyond that, what's our what does that mean? You know, like, it's all very subjective and
0: kind of made up. Yeah. I, you know, and you even say, you mentioned that, um, you're not your psychological experience. And I know many of us have been told labeled, um, given diagnoses Mm -hmm. and that sometimes feels like we're already writing another narrative for our brains. Right. And and how can that be maybe a little bit of a trap for some people?
1: Yeah. I mean, what is a label or a diagnosis really? I mean, it's, it's another thought. It's, it's looking back and saying, Oh, you felt this way this often. Okay. Let's, let's put this on you, <laughs> you know? And it, and it importantly, it is looking back. It's like a snapshot in history. I have a colleague that likes to say, it's like, if you are at a party and you have like guacamole coming down your face and someone takes a picture of the room and this like a horrible picture of you, right? With like food all over you. And you have this grumpy look on your face. It's like saying, Oh, there was you at that party. And then you look at that. You're like, that wasn't me at that party. That was a minute. And you know, our diagnoses and labels, they might be longer than a minute, but they're coming and going experience. They're a label that we put on something that is coming and going. So. it's, they're fine to the extent that they're helpful to some degree, but it's just so big for us to not take them so seriously. Like they don't mean anything about us. They don't, you know, they don't tell us really anything about our future. They just describe something in the past.
0: Yeah. I think that's really helpful. So One thing that that I'd love to know more about is in your book, you talk about discomfort, discomfort as an alarm system. And I think when we're talking about these psychological experiences, these snapshots in time, um, a lot of times our, our bodies are giving us signals. I think about it like as a a signal on the dashboard, right, of our car that something's going on, you know, check it out, check it out. But we want to push that aside. So can you talk a little bit more about about that, the discomfort as an alarm system?
1: Yeah, I think that, that metaphor that you just mentioned is such a good one because it's like if your check engine light comes on you don't want to just like dim the light. (laughs) I mean, no one wants to see the check engine light come on, but thank God you have it right. Like you don't just want to turn that light down so you don't have to worry about it. And if you do, it's only going to get worse. And I think that's, that's exactly what discomfort is. And, and it's so simple, but we've just been told and taught and conditioned. I think from the time we were little that certain feelings aren't okay, that, you know, you just, you should hide certain things. Like we're saying at a certain point, it's not okay to flail on the floor at target and you better quit crying or I'll give you something to cry about. And you know, all of that. And so you're right. We start to just push discomfort away, but this is kind of deep, but what I, how it looks to me is like, if we all at our essence are this formless energy at our essence, we are health. We have everything. We're peace. We're, we're this, perfect expansive energy. When our mind, when thoughts arise and we start to identify with those thoughts, like I'm broken, I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. That is going to feel restrictive. It's because we're completely expansive. We're the entire universe. And now we've just can, we've just put ourselves down into some diagnosis or label or thought that we've identified with. And it's tight and it's restrictive and it should hurt. So our discomfort is kind of waking us up to that. Our discomfort is always showing like, oh, I've, I'm believing something that's not the full big truth of, of who I am.
0: That's so interesting. I, when you say that, what it makes me think of is the times that I was told that this is how your brain works. You're always going to struggle. You're probably going to need medication for the rest of your life. Like, this is just how it is. And at some point, you know, in the last decade and a half, I guess I developed a different narrative for myself, where it, where it's my brain is renewing all the time, my body can change, I'm making better decisions for my health. And would you agree? Are mantras things like that? Are they helpful? Are they hurtful? Like, could they be hurtful in the same way that those other stories that we tell are hurtful? Um, what are your thoughts on mantras and, and just telling yourself a new story?
1: Yeah. Well, it's a, I mean, it's a good question. It's not that I do think anything that we use in that way can be hurtful, but we'll know, you know, like, cause if you're just walking around repeating something that are just empty words to you, a lot of times, I mean, people will even say like, it just, pisses me off like i'm I, I don't feel true like if you feel totally unhealthy and you're like i'm healthy i'm healthy i'm healthy everything in your mind is like no you're not no you're not like so it can truly feel like you're lying to yourself at times now a lot of times it doesn't sometimes we say something like that and and it helps us expand a bit and we feel into that and it feels amazing so i don't tend to recommend it just for that reason like just because i think each of us will find it like you'll know if it feels good to you it's great but to what we talked about earlier, what matters is like, like a new story emerged for you saying a bunch of mantras didn't put it there. Right. So you came to see yourself and your health and your diagnoses and all of that with fresh eyes. And now the mantras feel good. Now they make sense, but no amount of mantra saying was going to change your story in a really deep way. I don't think
0: yeah, I think that that's such a good point um, because yeah, if it doesn't feel true, <laughs> right? yeah, it's not you can't. The, oh gosh, I mean, my brain, sorry, my brain is going in so many different directions with what you're sharing because it is such a shift in how we traditional traditionally think about even trying to make changes. Um, because I think I, I don't. Again, it goes back to that protective mechanism. What is familiar is is safest for us, and so I think some people they like to live in a stuck place. Do you find that to be true?
1: Yeah. I don't know if they like it, but, but you're (laughs) right. Like the the benefits outweigh the costs it seems to them. Right. Mm. So, and you're so right about that. I mean, our brain has no interest in us going out and like meeting new people or like trying new things in life. Like why would it, you know, it just Mm. wants survival. So yeah, like to feel that, but, but if it does feel like you're stuck, if somebody's listening and it feels like you're stuck and just in a rut and life feels dangerous and scary, I mean, I think that's where this kind of conversation and just exploring it can be so helpful. There's nothing that we have to do. Just be curious, just have an open mind. And just when I work with people in my school, we just start off with this what if? Like, what if everything that looks dangerous is actually not? Yeah. What if feelings that, that we think we can't handle that look like such, you know, like, like suffering or discomfort, what if they're inherently neutral? And we just have a mind saying, no, 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 don't feel that. But what if they're not like, you know, to kind of just start to turn everything we think we know on its head a little bit, just for the sake of exploring, not to come up with new beliefs, but just to be open to anything. And I think in that place, we just, we start to see things really differently.
0: Yeah, it's true. And I think, you know, thinking through that whole neutrality of feelings um, is is really powerful for people to understand. But many of us, we have, you know, you mentioned that um, that example earlier of don't cry or I'll give you something to cry about. You know, many of us grow up feeling we have to suppress our feelings and it's not safe to feel and it's not safe to share emotions. And so that feels stuck. So what do you, how do you help people break out of? of that.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, again, I think there's something about, we have so much conditioning, we have so much of what you're saying, like things we learned that feel super protective, that we forgot that we even learned it. Because, you know, at a point in our lives, when we were young, it felt very necessary and protective. And then it just became a habit. So, so much of that stuff. And and yes, around feeling emotions and stuff is huge there. But I think there's really, it's really cool to see that even that, even a lifetime of conditioned thinking, when our mind starts to relax, all of that loosens up a little bit. So it's still thought, even if it's, you know, even if you're 90 years old and you've been believing the same thing for 90 years it's still just made of thought, it isn't who you are, it it isn't that deep, it's just at the psychological level. So when our psychology is going, and we're believing it all, it's going to be run in full force. But when our mind settles down a little bit, we start to see things differently. That's why, you know, things like when people just have a big life experience, they, they get a new diagnosis, good or bad, or they meet the love of their life, or they face their death, or anything like that, or even they just meditate, like when, when our mind shocks us out of the normal everyday thinking, that's when people come away and say, wow, I see things differently. It's just an insight, right? So we're designed for that. And it, it can work this way too. I mean, an insight can cut past a lifetime of conditioning.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love the, the, just the word insight. Um, I think that that's really powerful because it, it means that we have to look inward. Um, and it's not just, it's going to, and it will take some time, like you mentioned, um, and you have to do the deep digging. Um, let's talk just quickly about your book, um, this book, just a thought, and I'd love to know about what was your main purpose in writing this particular book? Because I know you have the other one as well. Um, You've done a lot of writing and speaking and all of that. So what was your main purpose with this one?
1: Yeah. So uh, this book to me is all about seeing that what our minds do is not personal. Like it's a, it's universal. All minds do the same thing. And the purpose for that, the reason for that is that like we've been saying, we tend to get so mind identified. We're so caught up in like, think that everything we think is who we are. We don't even realize that there's another option. But I think a lot of that is that we think we need to listen to our thoughts. We think it's giving us valuable information about who we are. We think it's I hear every single day people say like, oh, well, worry's protective, right? My perfectionism, it helps me get ahead in life, right? No, <laughs> we don't need these things. These, This is painful thinking and it's easy for it to look like it's helpful. Like our mind will spin it that way, but we're lived by something much bigger than repetitive thinking. So when people start to see, oh, this is just what minds do, it's like, that it has that effect. We just talked about where your mind just kind of relaxes. We don't need to listen to it so much. And when we're not listening to our mind so much, that's when life gets really amazing. That's when we open up to, you know, new things that, that we hadn't really let in before. So a lot of this book is, is around looking at, you know, like we've been talking about why our brain does the things it does kind of helping people see there's a perfect intelligence to it, even if it doesn't look like it, it's not the enemy ever. It's, it loves you and it's just trying to keep you alive. And also seeing that the way that thought shows up, like in comparison and judgment and worry and those things, they also have a purpose. Like they, that's everybody's mind does those things. And in just seeing that, I think just allows us to be like, oh, okay, then I don't have to worry about that so much.
0: Yeah. I think that was helpful for me in, in reading that and just, yeah. And like you said, and, and looking at just as a whole, we all are struggling on some level with, with thoughts and feelings that we're trying to make sense of. But again, like the comparison, the judgment, these go-tos when we're stressed and I, it, and it increases when we're stressed, right? How much does stress increase all of the above?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you kind of can't even separate them yeah. in a way, our mind doing all that is what we call stress, mm-hmm. you know, and stress, you know, when our mind's just busy worrying about whatever, then you're right.
0: All of this kind of comes along with it. Yeah. 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 I th- I think that I see that so much, um, right now with, just, there's a lot of division in the world. You know, I mean, there always has been, this is nothing new, but it's, it's magnified through social media. We have access to all of the division all of the time. And we seem to be a more reactionary people just because of maybe it's the safety of the internet. I don't know, but do you feel that in, or when we start looking at our thoughts and our mind in a different way, it causes us to be less reactionary, more responsive,
1: yeah I think that reactionary stuff happens when we're really identified with their thinking you know which Mm. we're all going to be at times we're human beings so you hear something some political comment or something you don't agree with and it like instantly feels like it cuts to the core and it and it threatens you and your beliefs that's what makes us reactionary like we the identity that we think we are feels threatened in some way so as we kind of start to see hey what's your true identity? Really? Like who, these are the really big questions, but it's like, who are you really? Like, like, what is your identity? Are you this, are you this body? Are you this collection of personality traits? Not really. Cause they all come and go and the body's always changing. So when we get, when we zoom out and kind of see all that in a bigger way, I think opinions still show up, you know, judgment still shows up. But again, now there's a little bit of space. Now it's like, oh, look at my mind going off and judging that person. But there's less of that quick reactivity.
0: What, what, what do you believe are some of the misunderstandings that, that we have when it comes to how we interact with other people, how we perceive the world around us and how our emotions, mind thoughts play a role.
1: Um, yeah, I, I mean, some of the big misunderstandings one, I think, you know, what other people do, everything looks personal Mm. and that, and that's kind of just good to see that, again, this is just a function of the brain to your brain. Everything is personal because your brain is trying to keep your body alive. All it cares about is you. And Mm. that doesn't make us selfish. It just makes us human and with working brains, you know? So, so like when people do have opinions and say things or whatever, it is, human nature that our mind will spin that somehow to fit in with us and how do we feel? So all of that's happening. Um, And and if we don't know better, that can leave us feeling personally attacked and vulnerable and all of that. But I think again, that's kind of to see, oh no, this is just what a mind does. This is just what a brain does. What someone else thinks couldn't possibly have anything to do with us. It doesn't even have anything to do with them. I mean, again, like think about it. Thoughts just seem to show up and people listening can check this in their own experience. If, if you think, no, I think my thoughts, I'm the thinker and I'm, I bring them up and I make them show up. Well, what are you going to think next? Like what, what's the next one that's going to pop up? There's all kinds of little exercises that, that you could do to kind of see, yeah, I don't think I'm doing this. I think thoughts seem to just show up. So if thoughts are just showing up, the the person next to you doesn't even, you know, their thoughts aren't even personal to them. Their thoughts about you definitely can't be personal to you, you mm-hmm. know, but we just, we just kind of don't examine this stuff that much.
0: Yeah, no, that's, you know, it's funny. I used to, a long time ago, not that long, I taught middle school and I used to say that uh, I would share what other people think about you is none of your business. And man, you say that to a middle school kid, that does (laughs) not, like, they do not get that at all. Because of course, to them, (laughs) it's all their business, you know? And I think, and and that, I think we all feel that way to some extent. And it goes into what you're saying is that it is all personal and we do want to survive. And I think to our bodies and our brains, are always looking for balance, you know, and always looking for it. So those unpleasant symptoms, those unpleasant feelings, it's just another indicator that, okay, something is out of balance here. What's out of balance. Where do I feel out of balance and doing a check-in? Are you a big believer into meditation, mindfulness, um, body scans, things like that?
1: I don't do a lot of that in a formal way. No, I mean, you know, informally here or there, but I don't have a lot of formal practices now.
0: Mm Yeah. I just, because I think what you're saying, it does sound a lot like, you know, when you're in, cause I practice yoga and it's like, okay, so let your cloud, your thoughts just pass by like the clouds, you know, They're, don't judge them. Don't be angry about them. Just let them pass by. And, and I like that concept too, just especially with these unpleasant feelings that we have and unpleasant thoughts. It's like, okay, this is just passing through passing by. <laughs> it's, yeah. It can be helpful for sure.
1: Totally. And to see that it does like, again, it's kind of one thing to play with the idea of it, but it's another, a totally different thing to actually be there in a feeling, especially an uncomfortable one mm-hmm. and look right at it and see, wow, this isn't what I thought it was like a practice like that is one that I will do a lot. It's like when something's arising, like, what is this? Just Mm. feel the sensation of it. What's, what's behind it? Like, what's it, you know, and something about looking at it where most of the time it's like poof gone, but it's when we're trying to not look at it, you know, that it feels like it builds up all this
0: steam. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I see, there's no better example for when these kinds of things show up in, in a more destructive way than with relationships and arguments, right? Because that's when both people are, their brains are clearly wanting to survive in survival mode. It's funny. My husband is a professional counselor um, and he does a lot of marriage counseling. And so it's it's not that our marriage is perfect by any means, but I can see in conflict how each party has their own beliefs or feelings or thoughts that interfere with understanding the other person's perspective, right? How do we open up so that we can hear a new way of thinking or a new perspective without feeling threatened personally?
1: It's really tough when we feel like we're this separate person that needs a lot of things, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm a me and I need, I need validation. I need approval. Now these are psychological needs. Everybody's mind talks about those things, but, but you know, we can live in psychology and not be run around by psychology. Like you could feel insecure and like you want some approval. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a very different thing when we take it super seriously. And then we start demanding that they change and show us their approval. And they're like, what? And they're in a totally different reality. Mm -hmm. That makes no sense to them. That's when the problems happen. So I think there's just so much in kind of seeing we aren't our psychology, this stuff arises, it falls, it shows up, and we're going to feel it, it's never about dismissing it or denying it. But it's also not necessarily about fighting to get our needs met, because it's worth looking at, like, do I Mm. really need this? Is this an old story? Is this an old thought?
0: Yeah, and I think that's important that it's never about dismissing or denying because it would be so easy to go the opposite direction and go, okay, well, this isn't real. I'm just gonna forget this. I'm suppressing, you know. Uh, but it is experiencing things in, in a new way. And I, I like that too, looking at the collective we instead of just the the me <laughs> yeah. and what I need and what I have to have. That's so important. So where can people get your book and and learn more about you, follow you on social media, all of that?
1: Yeah. So my website's dramyjohnson.com. It's just dramyjohnson.com. And there's all kinds of stuff there links to the books, all my, all my social stuff. Um, I have a podcast called changeable where I talk about this stuff every week. So that's the best place to go.
0: Awesome. And then one last question that I have to ask you, you know, the name of this podcast is sparking wholeness. So if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? question.
1: It's so interesting because I, I think it's a little, uh, it's a little different maybe, but it's like, see what if you're whole already? Like, what if the only spark we need is just the reminder that it can't be any other way. It cannot be any other way. How would a human be broken? How would that even work? And why would some humans be broken and others not? Like it has to be Some very innocent misunderstanding, it has to be that our, we, you know, our, we take our thinking seriously, and it says we're broken, but we're not so I think I just wonder for people if that spark can be a spark of recognition, you know, rather than getting something.
0: I like that so much. That is definitely a paradigm shifter. And I think it's important for all of us to start thinking through. And I just encourage listeners to get the book, to start, you know, looking into seeing your thoughts and your mind in a new way, because I think that that can make such a huge impact in how we label ourselves, how we put ourselves into a box and how we determine whether we are broken or already whole. So thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate this conversation and, um, yeah, thanks for all that you're doing with this work. It's, it's meaningful.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's a great conversation.
0: The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to sparking wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.